the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Thank you, Pastor. All right. I was the one that said he compliments me too much, too. I agree with that. I had called my mom the other day and told her that Pastor talked about me like two different sermons in a row. I said, I'm going to let somebody down. He's being too nice to me. All right, let's pray. Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for being in this place, Lord. I thank you for your love, being around each and every one of us, and being offered to all of us equally. Thank you so much for this church and for all the beautiful people in here with just, just the heart of the Lord, the heart that loves to serve you and follow you and talk to you and spend time with you, Lord. I thank you for that heart in this church that just loves people and wants to reach the community. And I thank you, Lord, that you continue to grow us personally. As we grow personally, Lord, that outwardly we will see the growth happening all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love my church. Can I say that before September? I love my church. Passion Church is awesome. Yeah, I can ask just about anybody in here to do anything for me. They're going to help me out. Y'all are really awesome. And I just want you to know that Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. I was driving over here today before church started, and I saw this sticker on the back of somebody's car. It said, nine-gallon donor with a blood drop, and it had some kind of blood company's name underneath of it. Nine-gallon. At first, I was kind of disgusted. I was like, (laughs) nine gallons of blood. This is nasty, right? They were really, really white. Uh, nine gallons of blood. And then so I got here. I'm like, how much blood do I have? I Googled it. It says, if you weigh about an average weight, like 180 pounds, you only got one and a half gallons of blood in your body right now. This person gave nine gallons of blood. That was a faithful person to keep going to them, plasma clinics and wherever you go, you know, and They come and they draw that blood out of you. How many times did they have to go to give nine gallons? I'd guess like triple digits probably. Like that's a lot. That's a lot of blood. And I'm like, I was really disgusted. I'm like, that's a lot of blood. Like they would do all that. They would give that much out just to help somebody else. And then I thought about it. You know, they were giving this out in small increments over a long period of time though. Maybe they got a little lightheaded. You know, they had to go eat a candy bar afterwards, get their blood sugar going back. But that's really all they lost, right? I thought about Jesus' blood for us and how he poured it out on the cross. Like That was worth so much more all at once. All at once was worth so much more than that nine gallons. And he did it for every single one of us. It covered all of us. And he just loves y'all so much. I had to start the message tonight on Jesus' love for you because I'm a little bit concerned that I don't want anybody to take what I'm about to say. I want you to know that I'm coming from a position of love. And that some of, some of the scripture that we're going to look at is kind of cautionary and warning. But I'd rather me stand here and talk about it tonight and us know it and us see it coming. And if we've done it in the past, you know, there's no reason to feel convicted or shame or guilt because we're already forgiven. We've already repented for our past, right? If anybody hasn't repented for anything in your past, just say, God, right now I repent for anything I've ever done. And you know he wiped the slate clean. He already forgave you. So I just want you to know that the reason I'm saying this is because I'd rather us learn off of our own, 
off of other people's mistakes, off of other things. We're going to look at Proverbs 29, 19. It's pretty cool. Uh, I feel like we're doing words of wisdom right now. Every Wednesday night in the youth, we have a proverb from today. My buddy texted this. Today is the 29th, so we would do a verse out of Proverbs 29. And I actually sent it to Chandler and Madison that have been doing the words of wisdom for us. And I was hoping one of them was going to do it. But since I'm standing up here right now, Proverbs 29.19 says, Words alone will not discipline a servant. The words may be understood, but they are not heeded. And what my buddy sent to me, he said, We learn more with our eyes than with our ears. We learn faster. The eyes are more receptive than our ears. When we see something done, we're able to pick it up. If you would describe to me how to do, how to construct one of these purple chairs, I'll be hopeless. But if I watch you do it, I might stand a chance. And if I stood there and you stood over my shoulder as I was assembling it, and you gave me instruction at the same time after I watched you, I think I'd really be able to do it. So it's so important that we learn from other people's actions. And we're going to be spending most of our time tonight in the book of 2 Kings, starting out in chapter 1, verse 2. It begins, One day Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through the lattice work of an upper room at his palace in Samaria. Y'all all know what lattice is, right? It's them crisscross things, that real flimsy, that divines and stuff growing fell through the lattice work of an upper room at his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. See, something happened to this man. Now, this is the king of Israel, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. And when he got hurt, he got injured. And he didn't go to Yahweh. He didn't go to the Lord God of Israel, of his ancestors, he sent messengers out to Beelzebub. So when he got hurt and when he got damaged, he went looking in the wrong places, right? He went looking somewhere else other than God. God was right there in Israel, and he went somewhere else. I'm going to paraphrase this next part. God told Elijah to confront the messengers and ask them, Isn't God in Israel? Why are you going to this other God to seek wisdom and ask if the king will be okay? Because of this, God says the king will die where he is. See, King Ahaziah didn't want God. God was unwanted. He wanted to go somewhere where God wasn't. He thought that the things that his friends were talking about over in the other country, you know, his buddy, the king out west, was like, man, we got this stuff going on over here. It's fun. We have a blast. We enjoy it. It's really good. And he wanted to go ask them. He wanted to go ask them if he was going to be okay instead of asking God. So then the messengers went back to the king and told him, a man came up to us and told us to go back to the king and give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Is there no God in Israel? Why are you sending men to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. See, you can't serve two kings. You can't have more than one thing sitting on the throne of your life. You have to choose to allow King Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. Because it says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You not serve both God and money. 
See, none of us in here, when we have problems or troubles or whatever in our life, we never went and sought out Beelzebub, right? We never went and found one of these other gods that we hear about in the Bible. But we're just looking, you know, we're made in the flesh. We're in these temporary tents right here on earth, and we're just looking with our human eyes. But behind all the normal things that we see, there's another connotation behind it. You know, there's spirits behind it. It's either you either got the spirit of the living God inside of you, or you got something else inside of you, right? So we may not see that we're actively walking out towards another God, but whatever you love more than Jesus, that's your other God. If you're doing something every day, and you're not even praying or reading your Bible every day, that's your other God, whatever it may be. If you just love riding a bicycle, and you wake up first thing in the morning before work, you ride your bike. You get home from work, you go ride your bike in the park again. And before dinner, you go ride again. But you never cracked open your Bible that day. That's another God. That's something sitting on the throne of your life. And tonight, I'm going to attempt, like the bicycle, I'm going to attempt to use a whole lot of lighthearted examples, but y'all understand this can be applied to a much serious matter. This can be applied to an atrocious sin that you could think of, right? But I'm trying to come from a point of love. Like I said, I know that we're not actively in this right now because we all want God. We want God. That's why we're here. But I want to keep us from straying away. And I think if we can look at it, you know, we always get the positive side. Pastor's always here ready to encourage us, and I love it. I'm glad he's the one up here every week doing it. But I want to kind of give us a little bit of the cautionary side to show us why we need to keep doing what we're doing outside of the awesome love and promises and joy and fulfillment that we get in Christ Jesus, right? So in chapter 1, verse 7, Ahaziah said, what sort of man was he? What did he look like? So they told him what Elijah looked like. In verse 9, then he, he being Ahaziah, sent an army captain with 50 soldiers to arrest him. They found him, Elijah, sitting on top of a hill. The captain said to him, man of God, the king has commanded you to come down with us. But Elijah replied to the captain, if I am a man of God, the fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. See, Ahaziah's men were being attacked. When God is unwanted in your life, it opens yourself up to unwanted attacks. When you go somewhere where God isn't, it puts yourself in situations and predicaments that you never should have been in. If you know you're supposed to be at church on Wednesday night, but instead you chose to go out to the club, there's attacks happening in that club. You know, drunkenness is trying to attack you. Lust is trying to attack you. Whatever's going on. And it can be, we can dumb it down a lot more than that. You know, we can just say going out to your friends to get a bite to eat, right? But if something happened, something happened, maybe someone robbed that restaurant where you're getting a bite to eat. And you were supposed to be in church that night. So stepping out of God's presence, going to seek someone, going to seek this Beelzebub, looking for someone else other than God to solve your problems. You're opening yourself up to things that you're never supposed to be in. God never wanted you in that other place. He wanted you walking in his will. But when you say no and you jump away from that and you don't want God and you're trying to look for it somewhere else, you're opening yourself up to things you were never supposed to see or experience. So in verse 11, so the king sent another captain with 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, if I am a man of God, the fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. 
And again, the same thing happened. The fire, fell, fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. They all got burned up. This guy didn't learn from the person's mistake before him. We're not going to be like that. We're going to be smart. If I see, I don't know about you guys, if you knew that these 51 men just got burned, this guy just murked them, you ain't going to walk up there and do the same thing, right? Can I say murked, Kaylee? Is that cool? Do they know what I'm talking about? It means murder. Murder. <laughs> these people got murdered, right? I'm not going to walk up and do the same thing that these 51 people did that just died. We can all agree that. We're all that smart, right? But how many of us have seen our parents make a mistake and we went and we did the same thing? We weren't learning from other people. I'd much rather, and that's why I love this church so much. I got so many people just sitting here alone. I got like 20 people in here that I could say I truly look up to and I learn from in this audience. And I love it in this congregation, right? And I want to learn from what they're telling me and what they've done and what they've gone through so I don't make the same mistakes. I want to learn from them because we learn more with our eyes, like, like we read in Proverbs. So when we get down to this third guy. Once more, the king sent a third captain with 50 men, but this time the captain went up the hill and fell to his knees before Elijah. He pleaded with him, O man of God, please spare my life and the lives of these your 50 servants. See how the fire from heaven came down and destroyed the first two groups, but now please spare my life. So the third guy was a lot smarter. He saw 102 people die. He finally figured it out, right? He's like, I'm not going to be that stupid. So why does Pastor Guy tell us all these stories about his past? Is it just to make us laugh about his funny boat adventures and hunting stories, you know? I mean, we love them. They're entertaining, right? But why is he telling them? Well, number one, it helps us relate to the scriptures, right? So we can understand it. We can see it through the lens of modern day, everyday life. But also, we can learn from some of his mistakes. He would much rather tell us about something he did as a young teenager that he knows he shouldn't have done. And then us learn from it so we don't repeat his same mistakes, right? So it's so good. But then what are some of the best stories that we can learn from? Some of the best people are these, are these events that happened in the Bible. There's so many mistakes that people made in God's word. Like, for example, these first two army captains that went up there and died. We can learn a lot from that second one, right? Guess what happened? He died too. The same exact result. So we can learn from these people. God gave us these stories to learn from so that we didn't have to go through it ourselves. And we can be wiser than that. We can figure it out ahead of time. So down in chapter 1, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went with him to the king. And Elijah said to the king, This is what the Lord says. Why did you send messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether you will recover? Is there no God in Israel to answer your question? Therefore, because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will surely die. So Ahaziah died just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Through Elijah. You see, when he was opened up to those unwanted attacks, then death came. Ahaziah wasn't supposed to die like that. If he would have went and sought Yahweh, Elijah was this crazy prophet. He was bringing people back to life. He was making the rain stop, making the rain start just by praying. I wish I could have done that tonight. That would have been, it was the first time Cece drove the church van and it was in the rain. She's a good driver, but I would have rather been not raining. I would have felt a lot safer. Nothing bad on her driving skills. It was just, it was a little bit sketchy. 
<laughs> so when you open yourself up to these attacks that you should have never been in, it's leading to spiritual death, right? It could lead to a spirit, it could lead to a physical death. If you were supposed to be in church and instead you're driving out to your girlfriend's house that you weren't supposed to be with, and you're supposed to be in church that night, and you texting and driving. That's another thing that we ain't learning from other people. How many of y'all have seen something on Facebook where so-and-so's teenager died texting and driving, but do we still look at our phones in the car? Sometimes, maybe. Still look at the phone in your car, right? So we ain't learning from other people's mistakes. See, this is just, I'm not getting super spiritual or nothing. This is just everyday stuff that we can use, right? We see that people are dying, crashing their cars, texting and driving, and yet I'll admit that I still do it sometimes, right? So, if you never would have been in that position, then that never would have happened. That's why you got to stay where God wants you to be. You got to desire the Lord in your heart. So, I want to differentiate real quick. We're about to get to the part where Elijah has his assistant named Elisha. First one spelled with a J, second one spelled with a S H A. I don't know how normal people go through this, but I'm going to call the new guy Shaw because they are pronounced almost exactly the same, and it's weird. I know y'all following along reading your Bibles. I know you would understand with perfect clarity. But for me to stay on track, I'm going to call the guy we've been talking about, Elijah, the first guy. I'm going to call his predecessor Shaw, all right? So in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Shaw were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Shaw, Stay here. For the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Shah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. Verse 4. Then Elijah said to Shah, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Shah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. And see, the story just continues to repeat this way. Elijah says, Look, you got to stay here, man. God told me to go, so I'm finna go up over here and get some work done. I just want you to stay right here. And Shah's like, no, man, I got to stay with you. I got to be where God wants me to be. I want God so much. I see all the crazy stuff God's going through you. I'm not going to let you leave me. Even though you tell me not to go do something, I love God. I want God so much. I'm going to go with you. And then see, these groups of 50 prophets kept coming up to Shah. And they're like, you know your boyfriend get taken up to heaven, right? That's what they keep saying. Y'all laughing at the way I talk. That's all right. I spent, I spent a lot of time in Memphis before I came to this church. So that's another, that's a very long testimony, though, that we can't talk about right now. So these 50 prophets came up to Shaw more than once, and they're like, they're, Elijah's about to go to heaven and go be with the Father. And Shaw said, I know, I know, be quiet. I'm trying to stay focused. I'm trying to stay with him so I get my blessing. I'm trying to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Don't distract me. He's like, be quiet about it. All right? So... We're going to jump over to chapter 4, verse 30. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Shah returned with her. I think it's interesting that that's the same thing Shah said to Elijah. He said, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. And see, what happened to this, this woman is her son just died. And she came up to Sean, she's like, please come pray for my son and bring him back to life. And he said he was going to send his new assistant to go help her. And she said, no, I'm not going unless you go with me. 
So you got to want it. You got to be persistent. Whatever you know God is telling you to do, no matter what anybody else is saying, they're like, no, you don't got to do that. You don't need to go there. You got to be persistent and go after what the Lord is telling you to do, regardless of what everybody else is going to say. So we're going back to chapter 2 again, verse 8, where we just left off. So this is what's been happening. You know, Elijah's been telling Shaw, hey, I'm going over here. Just stay right here. And every time Shaw said, no, I got to stay with you. So in verse 8, then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. So we've heard of this before, right? We heard of like Moses part in the Red Sea. But I think it's really interesting that miracles don't happen once, that these miracles are happening more than once. Because if we go back to Exodus chapter 14, verse 16, we'll see that's where Moses did it, right? In Exodus 14, 16, it says, Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water. God told Moses to divide the water. He didn't say he was going to divide it for him. It says divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. So that's more than once where this same miracle is happening and these waters are being parted. See, God don't have any favorites. He wasn't just doing it, oh, so we had one good little fictional story in the Bible for people to base their lives off of. That's not what this is. These are actual events that happen. They're not Bible stories. These are real events. And we're about to see again a third time. Three different people were able to part the water, right? But I also want to point out how God told Moses to divide the sea. God didn't say, I'm going to divide the sea for you. See, God tells you to go do something, and you have to go do it. You can't just sit around and wait for it. Go to verse 21 of Exodus 14. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened a path through the water. Well, hold up, Nick. I thought you just said that. God told Moses to do it. Yeah, God did tell Moses to do it, right? But then God did it when Moses was obedient. You guys have the power to heal people and the power to save lives. You have the power to save lives. God says, hey, Chad, I want you to go talk to this man. And then when Chad is obedient and goes and talks to this man, then the Lord gives him the words to say, And this man breaks down in tears and gives his life to the Lord right then and says, man, I was raised up in church. I wandered away. I'm so glad you came over and told me that. It's exactly what I wanted to hear. But you got to be obedient. God wasn't just going to come down in an audible voice to that man right there and say it. He's got a perfectly good child of God standing here with lips and mouth and vocal cords that can speak those words because he's got the word living in his heart. So you have to be willing to go do it. And like I said, I'm not over over spiritualizing this stuff tonight. If you need a job and you're praying and you say, God, please give me a job, he's going to give you a job, right? I mean, I don't know if we get newspapers anymore, but he ain't going to throw a newspaper on your door magically and then like, oh, look, on the, on the classified ad, look, there's the job I need. You know, you got to go out and find that job. I mean, maybe that happened, but I don't. I got a job in a newspaper like four or five years ago, but not since. So you can still find a job in a newspaper, but God ain't just going to hand it out to you, right? you got to take the initiative to go. He's going to say, I'm going to provide it for you. I'm going to give it to you. But then you have to take the steps, and God's power with his Holy Spirit living inside of you is going to help you do it. So we're going to go back to 1 Kings this time, chapter 17. Now this is different. This is Elijah. This is the first guy. This is a different person dying. It says, sometime later, in 1717 of 1 Kings, The woman's son soon became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? 
Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? That's what some people think about God. They think God's angry and mad at them. They think that pastors and Christians come out to point their sins and kill my son. That make, The first two times I read this, getting ready for tonight, I cried. I guess God's giving me grace so I don't cry in front of y'all right now. But people really think, this woman really thought that this man of God, this great prophet, just came there to kill her son. Wow. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve loves you so much. If he died, I was reading Romans 8 today. Romans 8 is so beautiful. If God gave his only son for you, what else will he give you? He'll give you everything else. He'll give you everything else. He already gave you the life of Jesus. There's nothing he won't do for you. He already did the most humongous, gigantic thing that he could possibly do for you. He gave you his life. There's nothing else he's going to hold back from you. That's so beautiful. But people really have this image of this angry God that's just standing up there saying, you sinner! You sin- Did I break the speakers? You sinner. <laughs> that's what people think of God. That's not who he is. He's all about love. He's all about love. That's the best way to win people to the Lord is just tell them about Jesus' love for them. So we go on in 18. It said, but Elijah replied, give me your son. He took the child's body from her arms, carried him up to the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Skip verse 20 and go to 1721. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Now we're going to go back to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. 2 Kings 4, 32. This is the first one I was telling you all about a minute ago, when the lady said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'm not leaving unless you return with me. All right? This is that instance. It says... When Shaw arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Shah got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out on the child again. This time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. This is two different instances, and you all already know the other two I'm about to talk about. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, he stood out there and said, I think the pastor just talked about this Sunday, didn't he? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he still had the bedcloths all around, and he was still stink. They're like, no, don't open up that grave. It's still going to stink. Well, it's not just Jesus that had the power to do this. That's another beautiful thing that I think was in Romans 8 that I read this morning. So that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is living inside of you. That power of the Holy Spirit. Every person in this room, we all got the same spirit in us. There's no lesser than you of a spirit in me, and there's no greater of you in a spirit in pastor. We all got the same spirit of God living inside of us. And we all got that power. We can pray and it really happened. We can't say, oh, because it's 2018 and this stuff doesn't happen anymore. I just read about two separate men who are not named Jesus that raised somebody from the dead. Now look, one of them, he had to pray three times to make it happen, right? 
Sometimes you got to pray for something. You got to keep praying. You got to keep believing. God's going to do it. God's going to fulfill his promises. You got to be persistent and you got to be faithful to continue to pray. But more than one time, Jesus is so powerful. He even raised himself from the grave. We got that spirit inside of us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. We got that. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Shaw, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Shaw replied, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. I love that. That's almost like what Solomon asked God. God said, Solomon, tell me what you want. He said, man, I want wisdom. I want to do a good job taking care of your children and your people and leading them, have good advice for them, and to lead your nation. And the only thing Shaw wants is, he sees these awesome things that how Elijah is praying and the rain stops, praying and the rain starts, praying and somebody comes back to life. Yeah, I want that spirit in me. Absolutely. That's awesome. He could have asked for anything. He could have asked for crazy miracles. You know, it shows these guys where uh, somebody's broke, their husband died. They don't got no money, no food, nothing in the house. And they say, go collect as many containers as you can. From all your, this is what the prophet, I don't know if it's Elijah or Shah, they got the same name. I can't tell them apart. That's why I'm reading it like this. And one of them told them, get as many containers as you can and then pour what little bit you have into these containers. And they kept pouring and pouring and pouring and it never stopped. Never stopped. This expensive liquid kept filling up all their containers. And she kept, she said, bring me another container. Her sons were bringing her the containers. They said, we can't. That's all we got. That's all of them. And then it stopped pouring. They had more than enough. They sold it. They paid off their debts. They had more than enough to live on, more than enough to eat. See, these men were doing crazy miracles because they were prophets in the Old Testament. No, because they had the same spirit of the living God that we have inside of us. They had inside of them. And they weren't ashamed of it. They weren't scared to do it. They weren't saying, oh, no, I don't want God's presence right now. I want to go over here and go see what Beelzebub has to offer. Go see what this person has to offer or this pleasure has to offer. They said, no, I want God. I want God's spirit. See, Shaw could have asked for any of that. Elijah's like, just tell me what you want. Tell me what you want. He could be like, you know, I want a couple of really nice chariots, a bunch of fields with some land and some crops. Give me a bunch of strong male servants, female servants, some sheep, some donkey, goats, everything. He just said, I just want your spirit. I want it double. I want to keep doing the Lord's work. I want him to continue to reside in with, with me. So I never finished that. But it said, when he said, I want to become your successor, it says, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And what he's talking about, see me when I'm taken from you. The whole time when Elijah's like, hey, I'm going to go over here. You stay here, Shaw. He's talking about he's about to get whisked up in a whirlwind and chariots of fire is going to come and he's going to go and be with God. You know, he's not going to die. Just like Enoch, how Enoch just walked with God and one day God took him. He walked so closely with him, was such a good friend to him, that they never died. But what blows my mind about this story is Elijah knew it was coming. All these other people, Elijah, Shaw, this group of 50 prophets that kept talking to him, they all knew that God was about to take Elijah to heaven. That's crazy. He knew it was coming. He knew he wasn't going to die and he was going to get to go stay with God. But see, I'm going to read his response again. It says, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, you ain't going to get nothing. So you got to help people without doing it for them. We can help people 
really not doing anything for them. Think about your kid had a really, really messy room, right? You could help them out a lot. They want to play video games right now, and you're like, but this room stinks. There's all these smelly socks everywhere, so I'm going to go clean up their room for them. That would be a great help to them. They get to keep playing video games. They'd love you for doing that. They'd be so appreciative. Say, Mom, you're so nice to me. Thank you so much. Right? Because I know the dad wouldn't do it. He'd be like running. That's why I said, Mom, he'd be running the opposite direction. So next week, the room's dirty again. Sitting there playing video games. Hey, Mom, will you pick up my clothes? How much did we really help him the first time? If we went and did it for him, where we would have took the time to teach them and train them, prepare them for the real world and say, which I know every single one of y'all did. I'm hoping that everybody taught their kids how to clean their rooms. You clean your room, Jalen? I see a lot of talking back there. You clean your room, right? <laughs> we got to teach them how to do it. We can't just do it for them. It's really not helping anybody. See, at Ole Miss, we got this wonderful thing called a writing center, and you write out your English papers, and you go in there and you get a tutor, and they help you, and they proofread it, they tell you if your citations, references, format, all that mumbo jumbo is correct, right? And when I'm sitting in there, I'm like, this is a big help. I'd rather this guy just do it for me, and I used to do that when I first started back at Northwest. I had friends that were just good at English. I'd hand them my paper, they'd proofread it, make some changes, hand it back to me. It's the same exact paper. Man, I was using some really big syllables. I was using, whew, it was the same content, but they made my paper look good. And I loved it. But see, then the next semester, when I had English too, what did I have to do? I had to go find a friend again and give it to them to do it. But now that I'm going to this writing center, I'm having a tutor sit down with me and train me and teach me how to do it. I actually understand how to use a comma now. I was having comma splices all. It's so weird. It's so, you can use commas so many different ways, but if you use it the wrong way one time, it's bad. It's, commas are weird. But they helped me so much because I'm actually learning and my act, writing's actually improving now because of it. And I can do most of it on my own. I go in there and they just change a couple things and they hook me up. See, that's a little bit of a lighthearted one. See, God wants us to move from glory to glory. He wants us to move past the things that we've already done. And see, if you keep helping people and spoon feeding them stuff and doing stuff for them that any grown adult should be able to do, and you got the same adult friend or family member or whatever that keeps asking for help on this specific task. And you know, like, everybody else seems to be doing it. Why am I spending my time helping them? You need to take the time to teach them. It's going to be annoying. It's going to you're not going to want to do it. It's going to be ugly conversation. They're not going to be happy. They're like, well, you've always just done it for me. But you got to break that cycle. And you got to prepare them for the real world because it's wasting your time and it's draining you, and they're going to be like a leech, and they're just going to keep nagging at you and asking for help over and over and over. But that's really not being a help. That's really giving them a disservice, being a disservice to them by just doing it for them. you got to train people. So we're going to go back to chapter 2, verse 11. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Shah saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. Charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Shah tore his clothes in distress. Shah picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Shah returned to the bank of the Jordan River. 
He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Shaw went across. That same miracle that Moses did and Elijah did, Shaw was also able to do. All he did was pray. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the same thing happened for him. The same thing can happen for us that happened to all these prophets. That happened when Jesus did it. Jesus said, we're going to do bigger stuff than him. That's how I know I'm not crazy when I'm standing up here. That verse right there. Jesus said, we're going to do greater things than he did on this earth. That really shows me that we got the same spirit. That everything Jesus did on this earth was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got that same Holy Spirit in us. That is awesome. Verse 16, chapter 2. Sir, they said, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Now these people talking, these are the 50 prophets that all along have been coming up to Shaw and saying, you know that Elijah's about to go upstairs and be with dad, right? These are the same 50 prophets. And now, listen what they're saying. Well, search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has left him on some mountain or in some valley. No, Shaw said, don't send them. They kept urging him. They kept urging him until they finally shamed him into green. And he finally said, all right, send them. So 50 men searched for three days but did not find Elijah. These were good people. These were prophets of the living God. These weren't the guys that the messengers of Ahaziah were going to ask about Beelzebub. These are prophets of Yahweh that knew. They were actually standing up on the mountaintop watching it all go down. They saw the chariots of fire and Elijah get taken up in a whirlwind from up on the mountain. But they weren't actually there. They were just spectators, right? So these are good men of God, prophets filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said, you know, we can go find him. We can go find Elijah. We can see where he is. Maybe God put him somewhere. And they were just the ones a little bit earlier saying, you know, Elijah's about to go upstairs and be in heaven, right? And now all of a sudden, they're going a different avenue with it. They're asking different things. See, when you listen to the wrong people who don't know what you know about God, it leads to unwanted help. When you know something, you got something in your heart that God showed you to do something good and pure. It's always going to line up with his word. It's not going to be anything that goes against what the Bible shows us to do in its lessons and its events that we model our lives after, that we're, we're trying to learn from so we don't make the same stupid mistakes that the people in the Bible made. People are always going to want to give you some type of advice. But if it's going against what God is showing you, even if they're godly people, these were prophets saying it. If you were the one with that firsthand experience, you've got to go with what God tells you to do no matter how foolish it may seem. See, Shaw was the one standing inside of the fire when the chariots of fire came right there. He experienced it firsthand. There's this theologian named Rudolf Otto, and he said that the fundamental basis of religion was a numinous experience. And numinous is basically a non-rational spiritual experience. Rudolf Otto was trying to come up with a definition that would cover all the religions across the world. You know, Christianity doesn't corner on the market on saying, like, oh, we felt the presence of God, right? Every religion will tell you, like, you know, we felt something. Like, we know there's something out there. Like, we know it's real, right? They're all going to try to convince you. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can stand here. I can attempt to describe the baptism. I want you all to understand, like, you know, they're feeling something different. They ain't, that's not the living God. They ain't saved. You know, that's something totally different. But I could try to explain the baptism of the Holy Ghost to you. I could use the scriptures 
and what Jesus quoted and say and try to define it to you. I could use my own personal slang and tell you like it feels like God wrapping you up in a big old bear hug and it's just the best warmth, the best feeling you've ever experienced, right? But any, any scripture that I use to quote the baptism in the Holy Ghost and any of my personal words, they don't really do its justice. They don't really tell you the full extent of that feeling and that experience. So I can't fully describe it to you. See, people are going to deny it and they're going to say, well, you can't prove that you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't prove that you had this experience and this feeling, right? But they can't take away what you felt. But even these people that say you can't prove it, you can't historically prove that people were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. But you can historically prove how their lives were changed, how they started acting differently. If something didn't happen to them, why did all of a sudden their character change and their attitude and actions change? And they begin acting in a different manner and doing different things. You can prove that. And we know the reason why is because they allowed the Holy Spirit to alter the path of their life and to change their heart and their mind and what they desired. Change their heart's desires. There's no denying it. There's no saying that it didn't happen. But see, people who didn't know the truth were trying to convince him otherwise. Even though they were good people, they were just at a distance. They didn't really know what he was going through. They didn't really know what would happen. See, sometimes when you're doing stuff God told you to do, it's not only going to seem foolish to your family. It's not only going to seem foolish to strangers and your friends. Sometimes what God told you to do is going to seem foolish to you. When you're thinking about doing it or when you're trying to do it, it is going to seem foolish to you. But see, there's no better place to be than in obedience to God. Because even though it seems foolish, if he told you to do it and it lines up with his word, then he's going to make it happen. He's going to make it happen no matter how foolish it seems. My friend that told me what I just told you about it seeming foolish happened to him firsthand. He had a job. He quit his job. Bills were due. He had to pay for his wife and his three kids. He had to pay the bills. God told him to quit his job, so he quit his job. He's in the ministry. He's a youth pastor. He does music. He does as much ministry as he can for the Lord, right? And God told him to quit his job. And then God told him to sell houses, be a real estate agent. So in that first month, in that first month, he sold two houses. If anybody, if he would have told me, I got these bills due, and I got to provide for my wife and my three kids, I'm going to quit my job, I would have told him that was a foolish decision. And I'm a man of God. I love Jesus. He's awesome. He's amazing. Saved my life, changed my life. But I would have told him that's a bad idea. But he said God told him to do it. And you see, God showed up and did it. He sold two houses in the first month. They had more money than they needed. It was amazing. So you've got to listen to it no matter how foolish it may seem. When God's telling you to do something, he's going to do it. Now, don't everybody come and say, hey, God told me to quit my job, so now I just get to sit around all day. No, no. He's got to really tell you how to do it. So let's recap real quick. Let's see, well, Nick, you've been saying, all this, how does all this stuff go together? We started off talking about the king Ahaziah. He didn't want God, right? So if God was unwanted, it led to those unwanted attacks. You were out somewhere you weren't supposed to be, seeing these other experiences and feeling and begin putting these situations that you were never supposed to be in. So these unwanted attacks lead to death, right? If you would have stayed in God's will, 
then the tax would have never kept coming in, coming in, and more and more darkness, and then eventually enough spiritual darkness, so you're not even connected to God. Because you're like, I don't want him. I want to go chase Beelzebub. And see, everybody understands what Beelzebub is, right? Is anything in your mind that you put more into, more thought, more energy, more time than Jesus Christ, that's Beelzebub. Anything that you're going to seek, that's a false god. Anything. It can be tiny. It can be tiny. It can be huge. It can be watching football. If you literally just like, you watch football all day, every day. You got that ESPN thing that I watch you watch for the whole country, and you're on it every single day, and you don't never crack open your Bible. That's a God. I'm not saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with football. You, if you want to watch football every day, you can. But I would hope that you're praying and reading your Bible before that, you know? So spiritual death means that you have a different king sitting on your throne, sitting on your life, other than King Jesus. You got something else sitting up there, whatever that bales above is. That means you got spiritual death. If you're serving another master other than Jesus, you need help. Jesus is the only one that can help you, is wanting to come back into his presence. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. You keep chasing all these other things, nothing else is going to work. See, God's help can and will deliver you from death when you accept it. Like I was saying earlier, he's not just going to do it for you and snap his fingers. He's going to tell you to divide that water. And when you raise your hand over that Red Sea, then God is going to make the wind blow and part that water. But you got to do it. If you keep staying away from it, then you're not going to get it. If you keep going away from the goal, then you're never going to make the goal. You can't, and like I said, these are just lighthearted examples. You can't come sit in one of these purple chairs on a Sunday morning and complain to the pastor and say, hey, nobody in church ever talks to me. You know, my thought would be, pastor wouldn't say this because he's too nice and he loves you too much. My thought would be, well, who did you go, to, go up to and talk to? Who did you go ask, hey, what do you do for work? How's your week? How's your family? What are your interests? What's some of your hobbies? How many people did you walk up to and say that? Now look, this is such a fun, loving, warm family church that I know people are walking up to you and talking to you anyways. But if you're like, I want more, I want like a real friend, what are you doing to reach out to them, right? You can't just pray for something and not actually seek it and not actually do it. You have to want that help. You have to seek out that help. If you got a dirty room, you got to clean your room. You can't just sit there whining for somebody to come clean it because everybody in here grown, ain't nobody ever going to show up to clean it for you. You just got to do it. Unless you're fortunate enough to have a maid, in which case I want to talk to you later. Um... <laughs> Chad too we're going to form a line and see when you're spiritually dead inside when you're not spiritually dead inside woo, rewind I'm tired guys I'm sorry when you're not spiritually dead inside you'll be able to defend against the attacks of the enemy because you're putting on the full armor of God and you're prayed up and you are in God's presence. You want him. You're not seeking that Baal's above. You're seeking the living God of Israel, the God of your ancestors, Jesus Christ, who loves you so much. You are seeking him. And when you have that, all those attacks that were coming in when you were out chasing something else, when you weren't doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're now protected from those because you got the spirit of the living God inside of you, and he is stronger than anything that will try to come at you. He is bigger and better than anything else. In order to stay protected from those attacks, you have to continually want God.
listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.